Welcome to Making Tracks. My name's Thomas Cam-Meadley, and this is a podcast where I'm going to be speaking to musicians about their musical and personal journeys and the story behind one of their own songs. I'm really glad you can join me today. This is Making Tracks. Today I'm joined by Disraeli, um, a poet, producer, MC, and multi-instrumentalist. Um, recently, recently moved to Bristol, recently based in Bristol. And um, uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about today is your um, recent album, The Unmaster. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, man. Um, the Unmaster is a... Uh, kind of like a an oral and it kind of like a sonic film um it's very london centric so i wrote it when i was still based in london um it's about madness and collapse um and how we navigate through madness and collapse both in the world around us and in the world inside us um Mm. And so, yeah, that's 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 the Unmaster. And it's really made, musically, it's really made out of the sounds of London. Um, mm. Most of the instruments on the album, other than the drums and the synth bass, are made out of recorded sounds around my area where I was living in London. So uh, the ventilator in the kebab shop um, behind my house, <laughs> uh, the creaking of a, the hinge of a gate, um, you know the the sound of a a bollard outside Halfords. So it's got a real sense of place. It's very, very that, yeah. And and all the music I make has that. I think um, it's mm. always really important to me to for music to have a sense of context and just like be unapologetically covered in the surface noise of the place it comes from. Um, mm. So all my albums have been that really, and and this is definitely. If any, if any of my albums um, is a London album, then this is. One of the interesting things that um, stood out for me um, was about you spending time in Senegal, learning about drumming, mm-hmm. um, and talking there about you know the 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 blend between culture and music and place. Um, I'm interested to see, firstly, why why you did that, and then how that's played into your music. Um, I went to Senegal because I've always loved percussion and um, I've always been a drummer and percussionist. Um, never really a trained drummer and percussionist, but I've it's always been a consistent part of what I play and how I build my tracks is by basing it around the drums, you know, um, mm. and always live. And Senegal really is just... And uh, well, a lot of those West African countries, that whole kind of cluster of countries in West Africa, you know, the Gambia, Senegal, um, Guinea, Conakry, uh, Nigeria, Ghana, yeah. all of those countries are um, just really a cradle of of percussive innovation and talent and mm. amazing composition based on rhythm and and so and it's such a it's such a kind of ancient culture and, and and would you say like you know it's kind of really part of that um 
history as well that it's kind of in talking about being infused with a place did you get the sense that there was perhaps this relationship where the music was infused with the place and perhaps that the sense of place was you know influenced the music yeah man well i think um i think that's probably true of any music um from any point in history in any culture really so mm. you know the um jungle and drum and bass music that i grew up with in bristol um was really heavily infused with sense of place you know it's like the the industrial sounds of the city um the influence of caribbean culture um which obviously you know jungle and drum and bass came out of um mm. the encounter of like electronic dance music and caribbean culture and sound system culture and so i think i think every form of music is really is really full of place um or every form of music that i love definitely when it really feels like it comes from where it comes from and it sounds like it comes from where it comes from and yeah, yeah the the music of um the music of senegal is definitely no exception to that Mm. Mm. I think it's amazing that there's this you can kind of trace this narrative of history through you know through music um yeah yeah for I think sure. that's, yeah I think and, really and that I think I think though one of the things that's always fascinated me about um West African percussion based music is that so much of what I have grown up with and and have grown up like studying and loving um, whether, you know, jungle, drum and bass, um, garage music, hip hop, so much of that you can trace, like grime music, so much of it you can trace back to uh, West Africa. Um, and obviously the the story with that is about exploitation and colonialism and slavery and how, mm. um, how the, the West African cultures travelled initially to you know to to european dominated countries mm. um is is a huge story of exploitation and and uh and genocide and but it's it's just lo looking back to to west africa looking back to senegal and the gambia and ghana and those countries um is so exciting to me to to see where all these rhythms that i grew up dancing to mm. originally came from and to to see how sort of strongly they've carried through yeah. It's such a it's such a complex history as well. It's interesting to kind of to compare that, um, I guess, the root, the source of that, but then to see how that history um, has, I don't know, infused and changed the music. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of discussions now about about music, well, about about Black Lives Matter and these kind of things. Mm. Um, and there has always been this sense, I feel, that you know, in that history, that music has been a, a powerful way of surviving difficulty. And I, I don't think that's unique to to this kind of cultural area but i do think that there's something about music that gives us the, the ability to i think come together as a community and feel that resilience you know and it's certainly something i felt with you know with the music i'm currently working on is based on the time that i spent and um, with leukemia yeah and i felt that during that time um when i spent you know a long time in isolation that that listening to music was something that made me feel connected and then actually making mm. music was made me feel you know part of something um and of course you know in, in there's a lot of parallels there in terms of in, into your own experience so i'm wondering kind of at the time when you were really struggling did music play a role in in kind of in that experience 
Um, yeah, man, it was it was interesting. I guess because I yeah, as as you say, my th- th- this album in particular came out of a time of of struggling mentally. Hmm. I found that actually in the in the time of worst sort of struggle and and wobble and self-doubt and darkness um i wasn't really capable of making much at all um Mm. i had you know real Mm. really kind of frozen up artist block for a long time um but what i did do is wrote a diary um really consistently and i also did a practice called morning pages which is um a free free association writing Hmm. and so when i came out of that period of feeling really shit um i could look back and read what it was like um and it Hmm. was those writings that became the lyrics to the album and musically actually the music of the album was really born out of them that moment of the, the energy that I felt when the pendulum swung back the other way and I f- suddenly felt alive again, you know. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I think that there's a lot of really, um, there's a lot of uplift and humour in the music of this album because it came actually came mm. out of like the, the, the kind of release after a darkness. And then the lyrics are quite, the lyrics are more from the period of darkness itself um mm. so it's in, it's it's a bit of a collision of those two states in a way could you tell us a little bit more about um the song this current song that we're about to play mm. in a moment um how that kind of plays into that into what we've been talking about yeah this song is called everybody here's golden and it is really i guess it is lyrically it's the moment of coming out of what feels like a long winter or a long darkness um, mm. and opening the window and being able to feel the air on your face and see the light in the garden. Um, one of the things that characterizes lower psychological state of states of being for me personally is that I'm less able to be present to myself and to the world around me. And Everybody Here's Golden is kind of an explosion of presence and noticing after a long winter of being kind of cocooned in your cave, your dark, sweaty, smelly cave, um, psychologically. Actually, it was more... Uh, the, Everybody Here's Golden, the moment that it described is actually in took place in the winter and it was a... It was actually a bright, sunny, cold day in December when I kind of came out of this cocoon that I'd been in. Um, so we, even though the, the feel, I think, is quite sunny, the, the the day itself was a cold day. But it's, yeah, it's that feeling of release. It's that feeling of release. Engines and a bird of a sky 
Timothy slides into quicksand. Good riddance to his murderer's eyes. A gurgle and he's gone. It's just me and the garden screaming as it bursts into light. Who am I to try and drown it out? In the urban decline a clock Finsbury Park with its crown of clouds Beatific smiles on the down and out Buzzed from the first hit of the day a clock Buff roofers in the altogether together a clock A bucktooth lady with a sticky owl belly Prego's belly button like a cherry on the top And everybody here's golden Everybody here's golden Hear the sun streaming Everybody here's golden Everybody here's golden See the sun streaming Everybody here's golden Everybody here See the sun I think of her and I think of her Till ambulances are a distant murmur I turn left towards rich mix hipster district I'm switching off my inner judge I see a man with a gun in Kevlar Black boots and these dreamy eyes Like he's thinking of his mother too Thinking we should have a baby Thinking she's so nice People drink tequila, do the twist And I forgive them all for everything Seeking pleasure for their penises or mouths Futureless, trying to shape the sediment Among the gathering catastrophe Calm is a superpower, I switch mine on And whatever happens, we are family And I have reached the venue And we will be fine, hun Everybody here is golden Everybody here is golden See the sun streaming Everybody here is golden Everybody here is golden See the sun streaming Everybody here is golden Everybody here is We could actually do that. Make love, we could actually do that. Sky work, we could actually do that. Have a good one, we could actually do that. Fall down, we could actually do that. Break our phones, we could actually do that. Snuggle up, we could actually do that. Paint our names, we could actually do that. Run like a nuts, we could actually do that. Look up, look up, we could actually do that. Unfriend the wall, we could actually do that. Get up, wall, we could actually do that. Yes, <laughs> wonderful. Thanks, man. The thing that really struck me, uh, particularly that kind of rousing end, is this um, is this idea of kind of I think permission that you can do that, um, yeah. and you know I think often you know when you're in that dark place, it feels like you know that your options are kind of limited and that perhaps this kind of weight of of the ego as we talked about is kind of hemming you in and i i love that idea of realizing that you have that freedom to just do to just do yeah you know, these these things you know yeah <laughs> yeah man yeah re- yeah re- realizing that you have working arms and legs and that you're blessed with a brain <laughs> and lungs and you can you can yeah. go out and you know Obviously, not not saying that people who do not have working arms and legs cannot get go out and do. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, it's it it is that feeling of liberation and freedom, and I think you know the the words that struck comes to mind is um, ecstasy because it literally means x outside of stasis which can mean the body or it can mean a state of being still and and that often in this case would mean you're in the state of stasis being stuck Mm. but then you know this is representing that moment of coming outside of oneself and being able to yeah to to be able to come out of that state Mm, Um, that's lovely man yeah ecstasy mm. yeah Yeah. eccentric 
in ecstasy. <laughs> I've never thought of eccentric before. That's really interesting. Um, outside of the center, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. When I first got to know uh, Kate Tempest, she used to call herself call herself um, eccentral Tempest. That was her, <laughs> that was her name. I always really liked that being eccentric outside of the middle. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. And, and and the other thing which I noticed was that there's a lot of kind of quite in-depth description about about individuals and characters. Mm. Um, and perhaps that a part of this is to feel that your focus is no longer on yourself and you're able to observe these characters outside of yourself. Yeah, I guess so, man. Um, I think it's partly... It's partly just become quite a sort of central part of how I work as an artist is just to watch and copy really um mm. i one of the things that <clears throat> i've realized over time is that the world around me is so uh rich in detail and strangeness that mm. actually to create you don't really need to create at all you can just open the window and stick your head out and observe yeah. and, and write down what you what you see and obviously that mm. what you see will be written down through the lens of everything that you've absorbed before and everything you've mm. practiced and and mm. learned how to do but um i think yeah the idea of being i really believe in in the creative process as being a, a thing of channeling rather than a thing of making from nothing mm. absolutely yeah and to be, I love the idea of being a lens and perhaps that, you know, it goes two ways because you think about light, you know, light being perhaps creative consciousness, consciousness, that is the energy or whatever that gives us the capacity um, to understand and also to connect and to have any sense of perception. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I feel very strongly that that light is something that kind of dwells within us. Um, and then when we create that comes out of us, but also that that light emerges spontaneously from everyone around us. And I, sent, I think in a sense for me, the interplay of light and color and that kaleidoscopic vision is is part of what music allows us to do. Um, and that's kind of the role of, of whatever interpretive communicative medium we use. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I love that idea. Um, and I'm really interested by what you said about the kind of medium, because obviously you're someone who uses different mediums. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm interested in the kind of what you feel is the role between um, yourself as a lens in, in different mediums, I suppose. Um, yeah, I think just that, really. I, I think that's really been my my mission or my just direction of the last... Uh, five years in particular certainly since I had my little mini meltdown that led to this album um, has been just learning to notice and I hope creating work and musically creating places for people to come in which they can feel that richness of the world around them and, and the kind of infinite possibilities in themselves, the way that they can also notice and be, you know, 
it's not even being a conduit because that suggests being a vessel from one place to another or um, we are just a part of this world that's around us at all times and every square centimetre of it is teeming with detail mm. and poetry and I think mm. that's my my work really is just to notice that and to write it down and um, perhaps in doing that to enable other people to to, to come to notice a bit more maybe. perhaps facilitate that process rather than being a conduit channeling that energy to to give people perhaps the keys to unlock that energy within themselves yeah man um and you know also i just really fucking like beats and bass lines and <laughs> doesn't all have to be deep <laughs> and uh and uh, yeah i love dancing to them and i love i love rap it makes me feel alive and make sense of things and um mm. part i think part of my big part of my motive is just that is to is to make the music that i want to hear um mm. on a, you know on a selfish level and that's mm. so it's just a big collision of all the wicked novels and poetry that i've read and you know nas and shakespeare and gets and i'm know. interested in terms of your your um relationship with poetry and um and rapping were there were those two things that came together or were there different stages do you feel that they're in a way separate no they're not separate at all um i they, i guess they probably came at a pretty similar time i i mean i grew up in a household with a lot of books in both my parents were teachers um and my mum was an english teacher um english and drama and there was a lot of there was a lot of literature in the house so and i i, I really grew up with a, with that everywhere it was very normal for me to have books around and you know um for mum to be quoting shakespeare and so that was uh that was part of the picture um from a really really early point and but then i i got into hip-hop really early on at the age of about nine so yeah, I was. I would have been nine, mm. and as soon as I heard that, because I was also passionate about music from a really early age, when I heard the collision of poetry and music, and the fact that there was such a clear presence of like swagger and cool, and the kind of like flashy, flamboyant machismo that um, that I wanted for myself. So yeah, it's so so I I sort of learned as soon as I heard my first rap tune, which was "Boom Shake the Room" by Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. I started to write. I, I learned the lyrics to that, and then I started to write my own raps. Mm. And I was already at that point writing little limericks and funny little poems. And I've always had a soft spot for for like um, like daft rhyming poetry, Edward Lear, you know. But then you know there there'd be there'd be Dylan Thomas getting quoted in the house as well. So that, that was always a present thing too. And so, yeah, it's all, it's always, always merged, man. And and I never really saw, I, I think I was lucky to have friends that introduced me to hip hop music where there was such a clear love of poetics and the kind of flexibility and power of language. And um, I think for me, it's always, they've always just been the same 
expressions of the same thing. Um, and it, it was always surprise. It was surprising to me early on when I got called a poet, um, when I started doing poetry slams and, um, cause to me, I was just doing rap, but without the music behind it mm. and people, I think, I think the distinction between poetry and rap can sometimes be a classist thing. It can sometimes be a racist thing. Um, mm. Like my friend Vanessa Kasule posted a poem recently in response to Colston coming down in Bristol, um, mm. and it's a it was a really thoughtful, delivered in a really measured um, kind of way, you know, um, and it uh, didn't rhyme. It was you know beautifully crafted bit of free poetry, um, mm. and someone right commented under her post on twitter this isn't even good it's just angry rap um and i was like <laughs> the only reason you're saying that is because she's black mm. and there's a way that people receive literature that is in the form of hip-hop or grime spoken by a black person the way that white people receive that who are not used to that kind of medium um, mm. that makes them push it away and it's not the way it's given and, and delivered and conceived it's the way it's received it's the way it's received um, and it's very interesting to me that as a middle class white person I have often very often been called a poet even though I'm doing 16 bar verses of multi-syllabic rhymed rap it's like you couldn't be more rap than mm. that very often i'll have people come up to me that are like, oh i didn't think i even liked hip-hop but that's really that that was really poetry wasn't it i wouldn't even call that rap like well you wouldn't even call it rap because you can receive mm. it in a way that's um, agreeable to you so there, there's a lot of stuff bound up in mm. um bound up with how people define rap versus poetry i think and it, rap has become sometimes like a mm. byword for the academy and and the kind of the white dominated um system of classification it's become a way for people to dismiss poetry mm. and uh yeah I, I think that's um that's fucked up and it comes back to this link between perhaps exploitation and music that we discussed, you know, with with the history of of uh, black music and things like that. So, yeah, no, it's it's really interesting to kind of draw that parallel. And perhaps there's this parallel we talked about the lens um, of, you know, as an interpretive lens, there is perhaps this dirt or there's this kind of accumulated um, thing which which prevents us from actually perceiving things as they are and as perhaps they're expressed. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, we we're never going to perceive things as they are, are we? We're just we're story machines. But we can we can definitely um can definitely work on a on the consensus stories that we tell collectively um to 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 at least see a bit clearer. I love that phrase story machines. I think that's a beautiful way of um describing us and, I, and i'm very interested in myth myself and you know myth being something which is our, our kind of collective way of trying to understand the world um and one thing that i've come across is there's a link between your music and folk music 
Um, and I was interested in, you know, how that plays in, again, ancient culture, mythology and folk music being one of the oldest surviving traditions of music. You know, how has that come into your music? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I take I take folk music to mean just um, music of the people and hmm. um, not necessarily from like folkloric traditions. Hmm. Um, but for me, I think we were talking about music having a sense of place. And for me as a artist, it's always been really important for me to have a sense of place and history and um and not not try and make music and write in a way that claims anything that i don't that i haven't lived um mm. and i think there was a point when i was starting to look at my cultural heritage as a white british person and i was mm. looking for what were the forms of you know because i i grew up listening to to hip-hop and drum and bass and reggae music and um but yeah particularly hip-hop and drum and bass were, were my two uh, kind of go-to forms really and I, I can't remember what it was that i heard i think i heard some sea shanties my brother went and worked on a barge for a summer when he was 15 16 and it was one of these kind of tourist barges kind of refurbished barge and it, with the crew they were always singing sea shanties and he so he came back from that summer job singing sea shanties and I was just really struck by how sort of similar it was in in like feel to a lot of the hip-hop music that I loved and I started looking mm. into sea shanties and and just found this whole wealth of folk music that was you know very simple accompaniment like a single instrument accompanying a single voice and the voice telling stories of the people in the accent of the people, the dialect of the people. Mm. Um, and all this call and response as well and use of rhyme. And I was like, wow, there's it's such a clear um, link to me between the hip hop music that I've always loved and this folk music. So it's interesting. So I didn't really grow up with, around folk music other than hearing Scottish folk music um, in connection with my family. I have a, a Scottish side of the family. So at family birthdays and weddings and stuff, there would be Scottish music. My cousin played the bagpipes. So there was some of that. But yeah, yeah, it, I, I was really interested to hear English folk music. And so I, I started and the ballads and stuff like that, the way, you know, the, the, the ballads for people that don't know, I'm, I'm sure you do, Thomas, but for people that don't know, the, the ballads were songs that were written to act as newspapers, basically. Um, they were written to tell mm. stories that had taken place in, you know, um, a, the story of a murder and an execution that took place in London mm. would be transmitted to the villages and in, in the countryside through the means of ballads and uh, a kind of store of information. Yeah, exactly. And they were, it was literally stories told through rhyme and song that traveling minstrels would take to the villages and they'd be paid to sing the, to sing the news, you know? Mm. Um, and that is to me what hip hop is. It's people telling they're telling stories 
that wouldn't otherwise be told. Um, so yeah, that was the connection for me. So I, I spent a while looking into folk music and, and going to a lot of folk events and meeting folk artists and collaborating with folk artists as well. Um, and I ended up incorporating a lot of folk uh into a couple of albums that i did one solo album and one with the small gods which was a band i was working with um mm. and so there's a lot of folk style it was it was um almost always original songs that i wrote in the style of folk things that i've been hearing um so it wasn't really like i wasn't really playing folk music in in the respect of playing traditional songs or ballads or um but it was really yeah really strongly inspired by that kind of steeped in that steeped in that tradition and in a sense that history and i think you know I, that idea of it being a, a way of capturing story um and and as a store of information that's why perhaps you know history and place is so embedded into into, into music is that, that it has this capacity to in a sense absorb a story um and absorb information and the culture and the history that went into it. Yeah, man. And, and and the amazing thing with how easy it is to record now is that I can walk down the road with my Zoom field recorder and literally record the sound of what that moment of that day sounds like. And so it's a really kind of direct kind of journalism in a way. And then mm. the way that the way that I, I try not to write in a journalistic way because I don't feel like it's my role to be a journalist. Um, I'm not really writing those kind of broadside ballads. I'm writing, uh, I'm writing a very subjective, you know, an odd, an odd take on uh, on a moment of a day. One thing that when we um, when we spoke earlier was you talked about being an observer and a student of life, mm. which I thought was such a beautiful idea. Mm. Um, yeah, that's so important to me, and uh, and that's really a lot of what this the the title of the album is the unmaster mm. and that's about letting go of kingship letting go of dominion letting go of needing to be um the king of yeah the, the king of your island the king of your situation and and relearning how to be a student yeah so for me it's related to the buddhist idea the zen buddhist idea of beginner's mind coming to every moment with absolute curiosity and and freshness um and if we can come to the moments the string of moments that constitutes our life then with with, with that freshness and that curiosity then we can actually be present to our lives rather than trying to control it or run from it or um or crush it in some way and that ecstatic moment that you talk about, you know, coming back to that state of presence is in a sense perhaps coming back to that wellspring mm. of, of life that it that is in a sense that that present moment, which is the source of the source of energy and the source of the moment, I think. Yeah. And it's not even the source, is it? It's just absolutely there. And, you know, the the mm. the richness of like I keep saying the richness of every moment that we're alive on the planet is is just gl a glory to behold. And. I've, I've lived a lot of my life um, not there and rushing down corridors in my mind and um, imagining and anticipating and fearing and regretting. And it was such a revelation to me to realise that I could return to, or, or first to realise that 
I hadn't been there for a long time, you know, and then to mm. realize that I could, I could, I could come back, I could return, I could be, yeah, I could be a student. You I could, could wake up from the dream. I could you know? see, you know, I could, I could look at a beautiful view and see what was there rather than see the kind of turmoil of my mind, um, mm. fuzzing it all out all the time. So that's the game now is to really, um, keep my, my mindfulness practice uh going keep noticing and and try and keep the lens clear keep the lens clear man and and try and have try and try and sit in my sit in the moments that are, that my life is and 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 try and maintain that humility as well which i don't always manage to do i definitely slip up and get caught caught up in my um in the games of social media and trying to present mm. myself in a certain way or you know worrying about how i'm perceived and so it's it's a constant swing man you do you, you, you know one moment you're absolutely plugged into where and who you are and what and what's happening around you and the next minute you're spiraling through the same old bullshit that you always were mm. but it's about learning to come come home keep coming home you know i was watching an explanation of of music theory and um, talking about, you know, if C is home, then, you know, um, G is the first step out on the journey. And, you know, A minor is the kind of um, <laughs> is the kind of, oh, what's going to happen? And they were saying in terms of jazz, the idea of jazz is you never, ever come home, but you always kind of suggest it. And you've just got to keep it close enough to home to kind of <laughs> keep it cool and unsettling. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, yeah, that's lovely. <laughs> There's there's a parallel there with journeys and music. You know, we talked about physical journeys and, and things, but you know, music is a journey. That the music that a piece of music has a journey and a sense of of rhythm, and I think that that works both ways. That you know, the way we understand music can inform the way we understand our lives and the rhythms of our lives. Yeah, and vice versa, of course. Yeah, mm. and yeah, that's one of the things I love about music is it's it's an experience rather than a kind of frozen. There's, not, there's nothing frozen or detached about music. Mm. Um, not that I always manage to experience like it like that, especially as someone that makes music. I'm sure you get the same thing. You find yourself analysing and mm. and kind of, yeah, like t taking, taking a couple of steps back from the canvas every time you listen to a track and thinking how you would have done mm. it differently. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Then that analysis, you know, we talked about this kind of ecstatic moment. And I think for me, there's two elements to our interaction with things is, is analysis and synthesis. And so analysis is separating out and we're kind of obsessed with analysis in our society. Mm. You know, the idea of you break everything down into its component parts so it's comprehensible. And, and the, that's the focus, you know. But for me, the, the most beautiful thing, particularly about, about music and the bringing together of lyrics and words and rhythm and the self and other people is that moment of synthesis, of pure bringing together. Yeah, absolutely, man. It, and, and that just comes back to that thing of being, being present to ourselves and being present to our actual experience because the, the stories we're telling about our experience is never, you know, it, it's, it's part of how we distance ourselves from our lives i think um mm. there's a there's a really cool buddhist uh notion concept called the two arrows have you heard of that no i haven't so the idea is that every 
experience comes to us as two arrows and the first arrow is the it's this is more talking about adverse or negative experiences so the first mm. arrow is the experience itself um mm. so you know i break my leg um mm. and the second arrow is the story we tell about the experience and the story machines that we you know that we as story machines make yeah <laughs> and, and we're and in our culture we're kind of obsessed with the second arrow it's it's all about the yeah the analysis and and um the kind of the heady fearful uh the heady kind of fearful storytelling that we do all the time the 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 data is i have a meeting tomorrow you know the story is i'm worthless and it will be terrible yeah the the data is i this person looked at me the story is this person hates me um i i'm worthless and you know there is there is something to be feared the the story is that there's a threat um so it's that thing of these these kind of separating out these two arrows and trying to trying to be there for the experience and obviously life is full of um full of suffering and difficulty and and pain and heartache but a lot of that is carried in how we respond to to life. Absolutely. And and I think that the accumulated experience forms the dirt on the lens, you know, and, and perhaps the thing of meditation is to accept that actually that dirt or that matter on the lens is, is kind of necessary because it, those stories form our um, form our, our way of understanding the world. But if we don't have ways to to let those things go, you know, whether through meditative contemplation, I think also something that's been lost is the idea of um of confession of, of forgiveness mm. and for me that isn't just about saying this isn't you know i forgive that person it's about saying i'm gonna let this go yeah you know? yeah 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 exactly man like allowing yourself and that that's one of the, the things that i find really useful about meditation actually is um it's a kind of constant exercise of letting go um you know my foot hurts observe the feeling in my foot what is it actually oh it's composed of a tingle and an ache what is the ache is it a temperature um is it actually as severe a pain as i think or is it just an anticipation that something awful is going to happen to me if i don't shuffle in my position you know and then if you often if you observe things if you watch for long enough then the experience changes um mm. rather than getting swept up in the idea that something awful is happening to my foot what happens if i just watch and see and oh it's gone and you let it go and it's a yeah, yeah you let it go or it just goes of its own accord you know what i mean it's like um, I think the moment of letting go is actually the the best part of things. And it's funny because in our society, we're kind of the idea is you accumulate more and more and more. Um, and perhaps, you know, you accumulate more and more stories, you accumulate more and more objects. But the things that feel good is the moment of, oh, 
of release you know yeah you have this weekend and then you you go and oh you know i've had this really hard week i go out and i get drunk and oh that responsibility is gone and actually i think that in a sense we accumulate these things really to let them go but we we are afraid perhaps because we don't know what there is beneath you know beneath if, if we let go of the story who am i if i let go of the story you know what's going what's going on yeah and and i think that when we talk about you talked about confidence the word confidence comes from con fide which i think just means to with faith someone who has faith okay. and it's that that faith that beneath the story is something that is positive that that you know is, is you say healing or, or kind of liberating yeah carry on <laughs> well I, I think that faith faith is the belief that you leap out into the unknown and the universe will catch you um and something that i feel we've lost in our in our abstract reductionist materialist view of the world the analytical view of the world is to believe that the bits the stories that we the models that we use to interpret the world are the real thing and we forget i think that as you say what is is that first arrow it is what it is you know yeah and then we come back to it um at some point in time in a sense we create that time and we have to create time for stories it has to be a narrative but for me i think that a story is is something that we write onto the page of infinity you know and, and we the way we do that actually is is through death um in in all its forms and this is something that i'm really interested in myself is that when i talk about death i mean finiteness fin finitude no. there are endings and and i don't think that there actually are endings but we need to create the the approximation or the sense of an ending to give definition to our lives and that is actually the value of human consciousness is to say this is a self that's not a self this is the different building blocks and so on but we can get so caught up in that that we lose sight we lose connection with what is and we get so wrapped up in the story that we forget that actually where we are is now yeah yeah and and to have faith that there is to have faith in in now isn't it it's like that i think there's we, i think we do have quite a lot of fear at, at being present to our lives it's like if i mm. there's a sense of if i really look at what's happening there'll be some darkness and some truth that i don't want Something to terrible. see if i do you know what i mean if i come home to a to a quiet house if i turn out the light what will i see there and i think that's yeah, so I, I think it's a, a massive thing that stops people from looking into their themselves. That there is it? a darkness within one, the, the belief, which I think actually is, is something that's so propagated in our society that the inherently within us is this kind of dark, terrible thing that we have to keep through our civilised natures and the stories we tell, keep hidden and keep, you know. Yeah. Um, and just like, just cram, cram it out with noise so you don't have to look mm. at it you know cram it out with with work and uh tabs open on your laptop so yeah <laughs> infinite tabs and, and actually that's that that's the joy for me man is is that actually if you look long enough and quietly enough what you find in the very center is quiet it's it's actually mm. absolute stillness 
and it's infinitely spacious and it's something that I feel like I've glimpsed a couple of times in my life when I've been really keeping up with my meditation practice and actually what's at the very center of of you and your experience is yeah absolute peace and it, that's quite an incredible thing to realize it's mm. it's not turmoil and darkness it's absolute peace i also would say the most important experience of my life has been absolute silence and stillness and um so i i had this experience um which exactly is what you're saying i, I was told uh, about two three years ago um that there was nothing they could do so after i was diagnosed with leukemia had a number of treatments they told me there's nothing we can do and i went home wow here i am kind of facing death hearing that ultimate turmoil not only is there inside myself this darkness there is inside myself the knowledge of my impending death mm. Mm. and my response was noise my response was to get high and to you know distract myself and blah mm. blah blah blah, blah, blah. Mm. but then one night i was sat alone in my room and i got this realization in this sense where i was like if if i'm gonna die and that's inevitable and that's an absolute what is the purpose of my fear what is the purpose of this distraction mm. you know it's not like that's going to change anything so look just you know look all that's stopping me is that that courage to take the leap of faith that fide to have that confidence to be like i'm going to leap in the dark mm. and see what's there and, and so i was i was sat alone in my room and i i I would describe it as my whole that the experience that I'd had was this turmoil, this boiling turmoil, this darkness deep mm. within myself, mm. like below, and I'm just trying to keep my head above water and not look at it. And, and then I looked down, and it's kind of like I plunged into the darkness, and I felt like I was falling and drowning and kind of you know really descending. And then suddenly, was this there was this moment of sudden absolute peace, mm. of absolute void and absolute light and stillness. And suddenly, it was like all that darkness, that blackness was just gone. Wow! That all that is just amazing. Yeah, just gone. Wow, man! And you're here three years later. And I'm here. And I'm here. Yeah. Mm. Um, because then, then after this experience, after that, I, I spent a few weeks just in, you know, in that state of pure presence and and and, and innocence. I think and connection. And you know, I. I was in that state and I came to know it so well that that I think now the rest of my life since then has been trying to find a way to tune back into that, mm. you know. But about a month or so after this, I got a phone call and the nurse was like, oh, we just, you know, we got the test back from your latest results and you've just spontaneously just gone into remission. She's gone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And that's been and and that's been the case ever since. Yeah. Wow, man. Wow, what a gift. <laughs> yes, exactly. What what a gift. Mm. Yeah, it's mad, yeah. man. How how these darknesses can be can be the biggest gifts, right? Absolutely. And the realization that one is resilient. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my own experience of mental wobble was you know nothing to the intensity of what you must have felt but I definitely look on that period as my biggest teacher by a long way of of like humility and just reassessing my priorities and discovering who my actual friends were and and what matters oh man 
so many so many things were learned mm. and i'm very grateful it, it it just feels completely un unequivocally and uncomplicatedly like a gift and that realization that life once life is restored that that life is a gift yeah yeah exactly yeah that moment of exploding out of uh exploding out of the darkness or you know opening the window after the long winter emerging out of the cave yeah man and, and to talk about that you know plato's cave is the idea that most of our lives we spent chained to a chained to each other chained to a rock watching the flickers of of light against a wall there's these shadows that are what we call reality and the idea is that through things like meditation and and, and liberation um, what you might call enlightenment is that one can realize the mind forged manacles as blake would call it yeah and you can release yourself right and you step outside and there's this sudden moment and it can be blinding which is why i'm afraid of it you know we're like, oh my god yeah i don't know what's out there it's blinding but if we have the courage to do that it's just yeah you know it's, it's everything isn't it i love the idea kind of that music is a store of of information of stories of cultures of history and and i think you know that with your music and that with my music that's so central to it and um yeah so i'm i'm so interested part of this podcast is about stories and and personal journeys and how music both informs and interprets that and so mm. i'm just so grateful disraeli i'm just so grateful you've come on and you know shared shared your story and shared your music and um yeah thank you so much yeah, thanks to you, man. It was a really delicious conversation and I'm, I'm really honoured to have heard your story as well, you know. This podcast is made possible by Making Tracks, a life-changing music-making project delivered by leading youth arts providers Trinity, Basement Studios and Ace, and supported through funding by Youth Music using public funding from the National Lottery through Arts Council England. It's very personal to me because I've been a participant, a volunteer and a tutor. I'm really grateful to everyone who's made this podcast possible. Thank you for listening. I look forward to joining you next time on Making Tracks.